Hello and welcome back once again to Booze, Booms and Busts, the podcast where we quaff a few beers, or don't in my case, while discussing the latest moves in the markets. My name is Bart Shoshan and I'm joined once again by Sam Volkering. Sam, how are you getting on this weekend? Good evening, Mr. Shoshan. I am uh, I'm pretty good actually. It's the Masters weekend, which is always a fun weekend for us golf fans who like to watch a bit of golf in the evening. It's been a boomers. Yeah, boomers, fuck off. <laughs> you millennials. <laughs> um, it's been a, it's actually been a really good day of just general sport. We had I so I get up pretty early with the boys. They they get usually up around sort of six o'clock most mornings. Nice. Um and so the Melbourne Grand Prix was on this morning, which was which was nice to wake up to. My brother was um, giving me uh, updates trackside. He was he was there as a couple of other mates. It's a oh, nice. looks a lovely lovely day in Melbourne, which was very nice. And then um, bit a bit of played a bit of golf myself today, and then come back, get the Man City Liverpool game, absolute belter. And uh, roll into the final day of the Masters with an Australian in second position and and a contender to win it. So, all in all, it's it's a good day. Yeah, great day of sport. I wish I was. Uh, well, I think it's probably good that we're uh, so so different in this way. Is it gives us plenty of uh, room for for conversation. Like I don't follow any of these sports. <laughs> so, uh, well, I mean, I follow a bit of, a bit of the rugby, obviously, um, and the Grand Prix occasionally, but uh, I'm nowhere near as as into it as you. So, uh, well, it's great here. There's uh, such such activity. You know, I'm currently in Cardiff. I've not been to Cardiff before. Uh, I thought it'd be good to uh, get to get to know the place a little bit. What's and, your experience so far? Uh, very positive. Very positive. Excellent. Uh, the town really is is very really bustling. Yeah. I understand the uh, restrictions were only lifted relatively recently here, ah. but given the number of people I see wearing masks. Uh, I get the impression that people weren't uh, sticking to the rules that much beforehand. Though that's just my impression. But it's really, really lively, and uh, all all the pubs and all the clubs are going, you know, really early on during the uh, over the weekend. Sadly, I'm still not drinking as we've got one one final week of Lent to do. Ne- the next Friday, this Friday, I will be finally able to quaff a beer oh, after home stretch six weeks but uh, until then it's still sobriety for me i've not touched any of the alcohol free booze you know as well i've, I've been sticking away that would feel like cheating um yeah. but no cardiff's really nice really nice yeah my my experience in cardiff to be fair has been during uh rugby so i've i've the only times i've ever been there is when australia has played wales in an international game and um and and so maybe maybe that adds an extra little bit of um, buzz about the city, but but from my experience, it's a cracking place. Uh, yeah, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed every time I've been to Cardiff. Yeah, well, yeah, that was why I brought it up actually, just because the amount of people who love the rugby here. So apparently, it was the it's the women's Six Nations on the minute, and they mm. uh, they they were covering that a lot at some of the pubs. Also, does yeah, in, when you're thinking of sport. Does the Grand National count as a real sporting event? That's a good question. So I, I, I would say yes, but I come from a country that has a public holiday for a fucking horse race. So, Damn. Um, I mean, horse horse racing in Australia is is as you know, it's a, it's a sport as in anything else. Yeah, know, the footy or whatever. So I and and to be fair, having met some jockeys before. 
uh, that ain't that shit ain't ain't easy. You got to you've oh, got to be a you got to be a proper athlete to be able to um, ride a horse. So for me, yeah, it's yeah. A sport. I know I know people have got issues with it, and I can see some of the issues with it. Um, but fuck, man, it's been around for a long time. It's what are they? Is it the sport of which which one? I always get these confused between boxing and horse racing. Is it one of them, one of them is the sport of kings? Isn't it? I don't know. I don't know. But it shows how much uh, how much of a poor spectator I am. I don't know. I didn't know. I wasn't aware of the saying. Yeah, there's. So there's. I think it's the sport of kings is horse racing, and I think boxing's the sport they play in heaven. I think. I think. I'm gonna. I'm gonna have to look this up at some point, and I'm sure somebody will correct me. Uh, uh, probably at some point. But no, I'm. I think it's right because I, I. I've not been in the horse races here. I really want to go though, because like I say, in is from being from Melbourne. The Spring Racing Carnival. Now, Boas, if you ever get a chance to get to Melbourne uh, during the spring, you you have this. These this is huge. Like the the Spring Racing Carnival is one of the biggest sports events in the country, mm-hmm. and the Melbourne Cup is one of the biggest horse races in the world, uh, bigger right. than the Grand, bigger than the Grand National, comfortably, um, and uh, and it's it's just one of the most outrageously fun days weeks series of weeks over you know every weekend there's a horse race and melbourne cups on a tuesday and there's a day off and a long weekend it's literally just back to back to back um enjoyment one of the best times to be in melbourne i would i would argue but uh yeah All right horse racing is a sport for shower yeah I, in terms of like obviously the event itself definitely a sport jockeys are uh, are crazy athletes and of course that makes the triumph of uh this chap at the grand national such a you know a big deal because he's an amateur but uh i was just meaning in terms of the context it's presented it's always in the context of betting and gambling like Mm. you don't see promotion of it outside of that that i'm aware of i mean obviously royal ascot is something that gets advertised just as a as an event but that's again not as a sport that's as a social uh almost fancy dress (laughs) event um but yeah, it's, I, I, I watched the Grand National for the first time uh, on Saturday. I'd never watched it before. And uh, yeah, made a couple of bets, you know, went in Rome. Uh, did not win, obviously. But uh, yeah, I think I'll watch it next year because it was quite a, it was great watching. We, we should go, we should go one year. Should we make an effort to actually go? Because I, I, I do enjoy it. It is a good day. I see your point though. You it, it doesn't, it doesn't ever get really advertised outside of the betting channels or like you say, sort of a social event. It, not like it's not like typical sports that get advertised as the sport itself. Yeah, that's funny. Um, yeah, it is an interesting one. I mean, because the the betting and wagering is is enormous. I mean, the company companies that have built, you know, billion dollar companies being built off the back fundamentally of horse racing. I mean, that's their that's the bread and butter because it's on so much. Um, and obviously, more recent times, sports wagering has become such a huge thing as well. But but they're still fundamentally rooted in, in in horse racing, which is phenomenal, really. But you know, I don't know. There's there's good and bad with all kind of sport, but um, of course, it does seem to attract its uh, critics more now. The wokeness of uh, society it loves to dig its heels in and sink its teeth into the. Especially when I think I heard this weekend a couple of the. A couple of the horses um, got some injuries and had to be put down, and the uh, the animal welfare crowd get pretty heavily in on this. So it's, so such it's always a, a touchy subject. It's such a enormous target 
for people who are politically motivated in certain directions. I mean, you've got so much money in horse racing, the raising of horses, the ties with the aristocracy. Absolutely. And the very wealthy, the landed gentry. Uh, yeah, the, the whole setup. And then, of course, you've got the, um, the animal cruelty, animal rights side to it, which, of course, makes, uh, you know, just makes it the if you wanted to target one sport, <laughs> uh, that horse racing would be a good one to go for, I guess. <laughs> On the yeah, on topic yeah. of um, of money in in sports, as we are adding, you know, I've got to add a market side to this. Have we discussed the whole thing about the Six Nations kicking out Italy and bringing in South Africa? Uh, I I have not. I have I've not I've not actually heard of this. This is this is news to me. Well, Italy as a rugby team suck. And yeah, I know, sucked, oh, I mean, I'm, everyone knows that. <laughs> right, right. But they've sucked for so long that they're and this this Six Nations was oh some of the some of the games, yeah. you know, it was it was really embarrassing. Uh, and of, uh, now questions are being raised of whether or not because Italy have sucked for so long whether they should swap uh, Italy out uh, for South Africa. Now, obviously, the Six Nations beforehand before italy was a member it's the newest member of the six nations uh, and it wasn't six nations beforehand originally it was just the five nations mm. so it's interesting that uh it's the six nations and they're talking about keeping it the six nations but just swapping it for another country rather than just going back to the five nations so that if it was the five nations and that worked really well and italy were doing really well so they're added and they made it the six nations why don't we just go back to five nations and the answer of course is because there's more money in it if we if we keep it a, a big tournament like that yeah um what, what what's your take on it though sam do you think they should uh they kick out the italians and bring in the uh the spring box um i mean the the italian games usually are a bit of a dead rubber um they they're, they're not at the level that that the others are at clearly i i i would i would go back to the five nations like you say because i think i mean you can bring in the, the south africa and They'll they'll be very competitive. There's no doubt about that. Feels a bit. I'm not sure why South Africa would want to do it. Really, to be honest with you, um, I mean, it has to be has to be um, some sort of financial benefit to them because if you think about where they're well, then again, most of them are probably already based in Europe anyway, aren't they? No, a lot of them play yeah. in the a lot of them play in the Super League actually, um, which is basically South Africa, Australia. I think Japan was uh, introduced to it a couple of years back. Can't remember what year now. That's so. That's a big. So like the um, I think it's the Heineken Cup or the Champions Cup or whatever the different cups that they have over in Europe here between you know when they're not playing international games they're playing for their club. Um, I imagine there's a lot of South Africans. There's like a, like a lot of Kiwis and a lot of Australians probably playing over here as well. I don't know. Uh, I don't. I, I find it a weird one if the national South African. Like, well, then why don't you you know. Just in, in, Why don't you brought it up to anyone? Bring, bring Australia or New Zealand over for it as well. And yeah, if Southern Hemisphere is open game, why why South Africa? Yeah. It's funny when the the manner in which this has been presented as well is oh well, all these South Africans, you know, this is going to really compromise the Six Nations commitment to uh to climate change and carbon emissions because there's gonna be all these and I didn't even know, but it, it just makes of course, of course, why would the Six Nations not have made a commitment towards uh you know climate change? when uh, everyone politics in sport has just become such a big deal it's uh yeah, yeah politics and money in sport is it is this bad for the game sam um well it's always bad for the game isn't it 
But it's interesting that they are now so, so this whole thing about being climate friendly in in sport like this because it's interesting it's it's becoming quite a dominating topic of global sport. So with the rugby is 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 obviously one thing because obviously with that many games you got to fly all the teams everywhere and you know you've got to be you've got to be seen to be trying to be carbon neutral and all these sorts of things and I think that it's, I think it's a crock of shit really, but it's, it's interesting that it's becoming more of a, of a thing. I know in formula one as well, it's a, it's a huge thing. This, this, they've been trying to, you know, be, be carbon neutral and be net zero for uh, a long time now. And they, they actually do do a pretty good job of it. Formula one, to be honest, if you think people give it a bit of a bum rap, they're like, Oh, it should be all electric cars and stuff like that. You know, they're these internal combustion cars. And it's like, well, yeah, they're also 1.6 liter uh, turbo charged with uh, energy recovery systems. And a lot of the technology that you find gets pioneered in formula one ends up in actual cars, road cars uh, a lot of the times as well. They do things like they recycle the the tires and the Pirelli tires are recycled. And I think they're then used in some sort of composite materials for like construction or something. They, they do, they've got a lot of really cool technologies that they use uh, that are actually used around the world. So it's funny. It's one of those things which actually bring, sort of does sort of segue me into something else I wanted to chat to you about, which I'll get to in a second, but um the headlines or what people perceive these these sports and these things to be uh that they're dirty they're bad for the environment all these you know the plane travel that sort of stuff is going to kill the earth and we're all going to you know the ice caps are going to melt and miami is going to get flooded and all this sort of shit when you actually look at what is happening behind the scenes and you actually sort of understand what really goes on um it's all it's all hogwash really (laughs) I don't think this. I don't think politics like this has any place in sports. So I'm generally against all of this. Uh, all this yeah, but system. It it not like I think I don't think it has a place in sport or should be in sport either. But the fact is, we can't avoid the. It, it is. It, it is. It is a, a looming specter in all kinds of sport. Mm, I think uh, some of that rubber from the tires ends up in watches. There's one of these watches that has the Formula One kind of. Partnership. I forget which brand it is. Maybe it's Richard Mille or something. Uses uh, some of the rubber from the tires in the strap or something. And of course, this is uh, you know the big commitment to recycling stuff and whatnot. Um, yeah, it's a. Uh, no, it's not a. It's not a Swatch Moon Moon watch though. Or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so you give them time. Swatch will find a way into this. So you know, you know, I jumped online after we we spoke about the Swatch um, watches last week. And um, have you seen what the resale prices are on on these things? Yeah, I saw some some crazy ones where people were selling for like fifteen thousand pounds or more. But what <laughs> did they actually sell for that price? Well, I don't it- know. I've seen I've seen quite a lot around a thousand, around sort of one to fifteen hundred uh, quid. Which, if you go onto the Swatch site, I think what the retail RRP on them is like two hundred and something quid. Yeah, yeah, they should be two hundred seven pounds, I think. And then, so they're, they're already selling like five x for, yeah. for the RP. It's like it's like NFT prices. <laughs> yeah, 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 big time. I think there's a big uh, there's a big sort of crossover there with these sudden manias that you get in in items that are considered hip, really hip to have. And of course, the watch in general, the watch industry has seen so much speculation now with flippers and Rolex having uh, all these issues with people buying. Um, 
you know, buying Does anybody a, buy anything not to flip anymore? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. Is everything just a speculation now? Is it like, yeah, uh, like everything? Weimar Germany, where everyone's trying to make a buck out of everything. Yeah, it feels like it. Because okay. Well, Karen, sorry. No, no, no. I was just gonna. I was. I was gonna say. It feels just feels like everything. Every time I see something that I'm like, oh yeah, that'd be cool to have. It's just like, and and you don't. You you can't get it. You know, directly from the retailer. You've got to go to the second hand market, and everyone's there's so there's so much volume of it on the second hand market, but it's all like these crazy prices. It's like, well, somebody must be paying for those. Otherwise, surely people would lower the prices. I can't. That's why you know. So interestingly, it's 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 become such a phenomenon. It's why that StockX company has become, I think it's like one of these tech unicorns as well. And it's, you know, multi-billion dollar valuation just for, you know, being, being a marketplace to resell like collectible stuff. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll be really boring here and say this is all a product of low interest rates because when people <laughs> can, no, can no longer True, get right? any, any return on their savings, they have to turn to other means of uh, trying to make, uh, money so everyone everyone becomes a speculator because that's the only way of growing money without working for it you can't just expect the bank to to give you a few bucks and it gets even worse during inflation obviously um now one there is one issue another big issue that we need to discuss this episode sam really big issue um so the wall street bull in ah, New York, oh, you know, very yeah. famous uh, and which has been duplicated you know the mm -hmm. the chap who made it uh, has you know has been commissioned to make numerous other bulls in various other poses. There's one in the Bund in China when they opened the stock market there, a big red one. Uh, and uh, you know the the story of the creation of the Wall Street bull is very cool as well. You know you've got this this artist who uh, is a immigrant in New York and he and he makes loads and loads of money there, finds success there as uh, so many people like his art. And then 1989 crash occurs and. Uh, he sees New York become very depressed and he decides, you know, I, I but he's still making plenty of money and he's like, I want to give something back to the city. So he spends a considerable amount of money creating this uh, great bull sculpture, the charging bull. And he litters effectively. He, uh, he plans out when, where the police are roaming around and he finds the perfect time to get a lorry down the street in front of the New York Stock Exchange and dump it in the middle of the street and then vanish without a trace. So no, so suddenly it just shows up and then becomes, as a result, a big picture. And this is you, a great, you, great success. You can, um, you can tell it's a sign of the times because if you, if you go to fucking Wall Street now, they've got those fucking roadblocks that pop up if you're an unauthorized vehicle and just destroy your car. You'd never get a fucking lorry to the front of the stock exchange now. Yeah, you'd probably get shot or, <laughs> or sent to Guantanamo Bay or something if you, if you tried that now. Um, but... You know, the success of the sculpture is is grand. It's known uh, around the world as a symbol of Wall Street, you know, the charging bull. So the, in his eyes, this is the, the, the sort of the virile energy of, uh, of capitalism. This is a really good thing, something to be proud of. And it's to remind the city of uh, you know, the incredible potential, the energy that, that it had, etc. Very, very popular. Now, this chap was commissioned to do one for the Bitcoin week. Uh, that is taking place, I believe, in Miami. Yeah. And, right, doesn't have a nutsack. Yeah. Th this, now, this uh, is a very big deal. Okay, when, so when, when you asked me about this, this was one of my, the things I was going to ask you about. I, I wanted to know your views on the, the, the nutless bull. This is, this is very, this is very, this is a bad omen. This could be a very bad signal. So, 
the Wall Street bull is made of bronze, the original one, uh, and it has become a, uh, a standard ritual for many traders, investors, and tourists as well to rob yeah. the bull's nutsack in uh, in order as a, as a good luck uh, uh, procedure, good luck ritual, and that's as why the uh, the bull's nutsack is polished, uh, while whereas the rest of the bronze of the bull it has oxidized and it started to, to rust in the way that bronze does. However, they when the Bitcoin guys, uh, the marketing team, uh, commissioned this uh, this bull for Bitcoin, and it's a meta, it's like a, a robot bull. Mm. It's uh, almost like Transformers, and I believe the artist has actually worked on some of the Transformers uh, movies right. for concept art. So he made this this robot bull, and he gave it a big robot nutsack as well. But uh, uh. The, talking about politics in this, right? This was deemed to be bad because we need to make sure that Bitcoin is open to people of all genders and sexes, et cetera, et cetera. So in the design phase, they castrated the bull. So it's still a bull. It's still got horns and it's still a robot. So it really shouldn't have any sexual organs anyway. But they removed the nutsack. And I'm just not sure if this is a good omen for the uh, the great spirit of a, of a bull market. Where's the where's the virility, right? Where's the where's the testosterone fuel charge that's going to take us to 100k, Sam? I didn't realize that they actually had the robotic nut nutsack on there, and they took it yeah. off. I'm yeah, yeah, the artist had, had made a big metallic uh, nutsack. Because but... like everything else about it is is a complete replication of the Wall Street bull. Obviously, apart from it being you know looking mechanical and robotic in its nature but everything else the stance yep. everything is the same and i would have thought that in i mean it's it's a bit of an homage to his original work and to to what wall street was but in this sort of i mean do you know what if i really think about it i think the fact that they had this bull commissioned for bitcoin anyway is a bit of a fucking circle jerk um because really, if you want to dig into the real core ethos of what Bitcoin is and the origins of it, it's 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 literally the most it's it's the antithesis of Wall Street, really. And yet all the fucking Bitcoin bros are like, oh, Wall Street bull. Yeah, fucking. Uh. I mean, I think it's I think it's ridiculous, actually, the whole thing. I think if you're going to get rid of the nutsack, get rid of the whole fucking bull and they should have made something completely different instead of they should have just done a giant fucking satoshi statue of the of the dude that isn't satoshi that's called satoshi that everyone thought was satoshi but isn't satoshi just like do a giant <laughs> robotic bust of him or something that would be more appropriate than a fucking ripoff of the wall street bull just because of bitcoin bro culture and even, and then to go and rip the nutsack off as well i mean it's like bitcoin bro woke culture i oh, fuck mm. that nah the Insult whole thing injury shit. I didn't like it to be fair. When I first saw it, I was like, "That's just stupid." It's it's it, it's it's like it's like giving a, a a dick shake to fucking Wall Street, and it's very much the antithesis of what they're all about. So I don't like it at all. To be fair, hmm. I think the I, I certainly think there's uh, yeah I agree with you in part where you're talking about it's a it's a duplication of Wall Street. However, given the number of times that artist has made other bulls for other countries and in other contexts, I think it's okay if there is a there is a Bitcoin adaptation. But at the same time, it's still lending credence to the entire speculative idea of it, which is maybe which is not what Bitcoin was originally created as It's just this one grand speculative tool. I think 
when it, it, it does seem very Florida to me to have a robot bull, right? That seems like a very Florida, Miami tech bro thing. It seems a very tech bro thing. Yeah. Like a lot then, of dudes in Gilets decided that they were going to fucking get this done. I think, yeah, Patagonia Gilets, though I guess that's <laughs> San Francisco kind of thing. But then a lot of them have gone to Miami anyway. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's castrating the bull. Sorry, just as a side note, did you see? Oh, fuck, who was it? I think it's Kraken. You know, the big, uh, the big crypto exchange, Kraken, is shutting its San Francisco office because it's just it's it's too risky for its employees. They, they, there's been too many attacks and abuse. Um, it's just not safe for them to be operating out of San Francisco anymore. So they're shutting the office. Big yikes! And I think that kind of ties into our our next. That, that something else we, we could we could uh, discuss. Though so just before, I do think castrating the bull sends exactly the wrong message. If you're yeah. going to duplicate it, you may as well uh, let it do let it, it, uh, it. Yeah. stay stay uh, 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 able to reproduce. But anyway, but speaking of San Francisco offices, uh, we've now got Elon Musk with his nine percent stake saying on Twitter, creating a poll to say should the San Francisco office of Twitter be shut because nobody goes there anyway and turned into a homeless shelter. Oh, and of wow. course, 99% of people or whatever, it was 9% plus said, said yes. It's interesting to see Musk now go to Twitter and start uh, trying to create change there. What do you think is going to happen? This is crazy. I think this is the funniest thing ever. <laughs> I love the fact that he, it's announced that he has this. He's got, I think he is now the single biggest shareholder of Twitter. And um, more than Jack, more than the current um, CEO, um, more than anybody. And, the, and, and it's literally like the, as soon as it, it's announced, everyone starts like tweeting at Elon to get people unbanned from Twitter. He's, yeah. become, he's like become the de facto customer service representative of Twitter, <laughs> which I think is fucking hilarious. And to be fair, I think it's good what he's doing because the people that, make twitter are the people that use twitter and to to go and ask them for polls about things like edit buttons or shutting the san francisco office or whatever i think it's it's he can then go to the board and say this is what your users think um and it and it you you like you never saw twitter really do that before he's become this he's become a direct line for users of twitter for the people that you know, it's supposed to serve that it's a direct line to the board. And he's kind of like this conduit. He's like this voice of the people. Populist um, conduit. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. It yeah. seems like it's almost like there's a, there's a populist uprising and he's become their, uh, their guy. I, I do wonder how much change he'll actually be able to, to make as a board member and with a 9% stake. Well, I mean, the proof will be in the, in the, in the punch. Right. And, and it'll be pretty clear if, if he can affect change because all of a sudden you'll see people like Donald Trump get unbanned. Yeah. Big time, big time. And I, I mean, maybe Trump doesn't want to be, maybe he won't come back because he's got his own social media thing. happening. but you'll start to see the voices that were basically shut down the fucking, the Babylon B. I mean, the Babylon B, if they can unban the Babylon B, then maybe we can see some change. But as far as I'm, I can see, I think they're still bad. So um, I don't know. It'll be easy to see if change is happening. Do you think this is bullish for Twitter? Um, so it wasn't that long ago. I think, were we discussing here that I thought Twitter was actually a bit of dog shit? Um, yeah, big time. At, uh, since Jack left and it was, it was it was kind of going down the gurgler. This has given a little bit of hope that maybe it can turn a corner. 
Yeah. Well, I think we'll start. We'll wait and see how much influence he actually has. But uh, maybe this is a change in fortunes. It does feel like Twitter is uh, certainly. Well, we were talking about the Hunter Biden laptop not too long ago, and people yeah. got suspended for sharing information about that because it was a, you were being accused of Russian disinformation, mm. and that was that was yeah deemed cause enough. And all the people who got banned from that haven't been unbanned, even though it was revealed to be true. Yeah. We'll see. We shall we'll see. see. We'll see. I think. I think overall. Oh, it's funny how people are now talking about him getting a stake in Facebook and trying, trying to basically ask the Zook and Zook cash that they want to do. I think you'll end up that Twitter will. The good thing about Elon is that he's open to things like integrating um, payments through like Lightning, net, the Lightning Network, and things like that, and. I think that that will be an interesting development. I think what's happening at the moment, I think we're sort of almost coming up to a another quasi-civil war within Bitcoin um, about the um, medium of exchanges and the store of valuers. Mm, yeah, big time. So people, there was that, there was that commentary where uh, Sailor had made his speech where he said, you know, you never, ever, ever sell your Bitcoin and the crowd mm. goes wild. And then... Uh, What's the, name? What's the name of the, the young Jack chap? Mallers. Yeah, Jack Mallers goes on stage and says, I've created the perfect way for you to spend your Bitcoin. And then the crowd goes wild, <laughs> uh, kind of sends mixed messages. I don't see how the Civil War could take place, however. I don't see yeah. where. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I mean, I, I think maybe Civil War is not the right term. I don't think there's necessarily a war. I don't think it will see like another fork. But because that's not really, but I think it's just you just continuing factions, I suppose, within. Because yeah, like, I, and to be, I, I'll be interested to see what what your thoughts are on. on do you, do you, do you sit on one of one of the sides? Are you are you sort of, or are you a bit of both? Where you know you agree with Sailor wholeheartedly, never sell, or is it sort of with with Mallers? It's like, well, the point is to yeah, you can, you can you can use it, you can spend it, you can live in a circular economy that utilizes Bitcoin. Uh, I, I think I'd certainly lean on the side of folks who want to spend it like money should be able to spend it like money. I think the Lightning Network's a, a great work, and I look forward to seeing how it spreads more. I think in areas of the world where people use Bitcoin as a medium of exchange because their own currencies are crap, uh, is I think it's perfectly reasonable. I think it's great that Lightning Network is used for those kind of uh, transfers for because people can't trust the currency, so they need to need something harder than that, and Bitcoin is the harder asset. So I'd definitely be more on the side of a Lightning Network being used, but uh, you know it's up to you what you do with Bitcoin. It's uh, it's not uh, you have to never sell it. That's uh, that sounds very strange to me. Yeah, I, I, I <laughs> this, the, uh, the funny thing is that. The, the whole point of it is is it's a really really is very much a liberation tool and you can be liberation like you say from uh, economies where the currency is dog shit you know it can be a liberation from inflation where again you're in a country where inflation is rampant and usually comes around with a currency that's dog shit it can be liberation just from the traditional financial system where you know it's it's not really doing a lot for for savers at the moment and it's it's a store of wealth and it can be a lot of things to a lot of people and a lot of different things to a lot of people and yet we still have people like sailor that say you know you must you know you should never sell and people like mallers that i think are a little bit more open to freedom of what to do with it but ultimately 
no one should ever tell anybody what to do with any of their money, whether it's Bitcoin or not. So, you know, we give opinions and stuff. And I think, you know, a bit of both is, is, is reasonable to have some and to use some, but ultimately do whatever the fuck you want with it. (laughs) If everyone took sailor's advice and just never sold Bitcoin, no one would be able to acquire it. I mean, that would just be, that would be it. The miners would just sit on their bags. Everyone else would just sit on their bags and you wouldn't be able to acquire it. No one would be able to, no one would be able to buy it. So it would, yeah, it doesn't make sense. This is, this is why I don't quite get sailor's point on it. It's like, okay, well, when ev- when all of Bitcoin is in circulation, then 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 what? Like if you're holding it and you're never going to sell it, what is the point of it? I mean, ultimately, if if everyone, like you say, if everyone only ever bought it to hold it and never use it, then what's the point really? of it? Then? Well, then yeah. it, then it has no value, does it? Or, or it's like some it just turns into some weird fine art cult where everybody just holds on to it and never shows it and that's that or it becomes a status thing where you know here look here are my public keys i can i can sign a message here and show that i own these but i own this bitcoin that's in here but then my mount but then my mount gox nft would be worthless so no we can't we can't have that yeah one thing one aspect of this i thought we could expand on a bit uh in the show i think it's very interesting what's going on with algorithmic stable coins at the minute and yeah, seeing yeah. the seeing terra protocol uh acquiring lots of bitcoin which i think is very interesting we've seen the uh when we're talking about value and value within the crypto space in general stable coins have grown a huge amount they're very very interesting and you get different interpretations of them so you've got you know tether which of course is we've got all this in a bank account somewhere please trust us we lied to you about this several years ago but don't but worry. Now trust, <laughs> now trust us, and then you've got Circle, where they yeah. can prove to you that they that every single one of these is backed, but they may blacklist you as a result because uh, yeah. you know they have that power, and because they are under that you know because they have all of this this money, they're under the influence of the TradFi banking system. Then you have the algorithmic one, where it's all kind of a game theory experiment. Mm. In as soon as we will be using, uh, we will be selling collateralized. Uh, well, we will be selling collateral or buying collateral in order to keep the amount of uh, the value of this uh, stablecoin pegged, which I find very interesting. And then they're trying to, you get protocols which are trying to then decentralize that process and they're using futures and lots of interesting interpretations in creating value seemingly out of nothing that's based mm-hmm. on behavior and the stability and the rationality of other markets, which I find very interesting. Some folks, uh, I did see some, uh, somebody on Twitter opine in a way that I thought was very interesting. So we're talking about DeFi summer and you saw NFT uh, winter, as it were, and you've got you know, the Bitcoin bull markets and whatever. And somebody making the argument, this was good. we're going to enter stablecoin summer. This was going to be a bull market <laughs> in protocols that are uh, governing stablecoin usage, which I find very interesting. And I can believe it. It's a, it's a new... It's a new twist on an existing one where you see the proliferation of stable coins okay. in crypto. And maybe the governance of those stable coins becomes the next big thing. Yeah. So I've never liked stable coins for the for the sole reason that it I like I don't understand the I mean, I understand what they facilitate, but I don't understand the point. Like it's just it's just the, it's just normal fiat it's just fiat money 
Well, in the case of the algorithmic ones, it's not fiat money, but it has value. Yes. Okay. So, so the, the, the algorithmic ones are a little bit different. So I'll, I'll get to that. But the, the sort of backed by dollar stable coins, I was like, it is, it is just, it like if you have USDT or Circle, that's fine. And you can, you know, it's easy then to transact within sort of the crypto ecosystem. But if you're sitting on them, you're still at the mercy of all the, all the TradFi pressures of inflation and, and everything like that. It doesn't, you don't, just because you hold USDT, you don't escape inflation or anything like no, that. No, certainly not. But I don't think so, people are saying you'd escape inflation from holding USDT. Um, I think some people think they are. How? <laughs> because I genuinely think people don't understand how the fuck the current system works and how the fuck the crypto system works. And they just think they're getting out of one means that they're, they, they're not, you know, at the mercy of the pressures of that. I mean, there are there are some advantages, like some of the, um, you know, earning platforms where you can get, you know, 9, 10, 12% on your, on your stable coins or like, you know, the anchor protocol, you can get, I think it's about 19 and a half percent on your UST. I was testing that out actually recently and it, 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 it works, it's legit. The, how if, if if they can do it long term is is the, the billion dollar question um and then obviously what they're doing with buying bitcoin to sort of underpin it but so then that then like you say comes back around to algorithmic stable coins it's like okay well if you're gonna do an algorith- algorithmic stable coin that's algorithmically pegged to fiat money why don't you just do an algorithmic bitcoin peg because the value of Bitcoin is so it fluctuates so much. Only if it's converted to fiat money. Yeah, but the yeah, but the idea ultimately that is still how people view Bitcoin, and uh, that it, there is not. I don't think there is en- enough of an infrastructure as we've been describing already with Jack Mallers and with with Strike with Lightning mm. Network. That that infrastructure is being built, but it doesn't exist yet. So that's the that's the utopian dream. Mm. But at the minute, people want stable value that can still be transferred through these existing networks mm. yeah no look the algorithm I, I like algorithmic stable coins have been around for a little while now they're not there's certainly nothing new and I, I i i'm interested to think like i've been thinking as well you know what is the next like you say there was the DeFi summer there's the nft boom both came off the boil both went back on the boil like the, the first nft boom was like 2017 then the fucking basically crypto winter and then Last year, NFTs went nuts on a whole nother level. Um, somewhat seemed to have come off again, but at the same time, it's very much sort of like that 2017 bubble over again. Um, DeFi summer came off then on, but then I'm thinking at the, at the moment that the DeFi summer, uh, the sort of the first DeFi boom came and sort of went. And I think we haven't seen the second one of that yet either. But the idea of governance coins from algorithmic stable coins, it's an interesting one because... Fundamental. So I look at a few of them. I've been looking at a few of these, right? So anchors are anchors are slightly different kettle of fish, but I'm, I, th- I look at them and I think to myself, okay, what, what is the point of the algorithmic? What is the point of a, of a governance token in, in that respect? I mean, you get to, and it's a bit like DAOs, right? Our DAOs have kind of had a th- bit of a thing and they're not quite a bit of a thing. They haven't quite had an explosion yet. I don't think either, but the governance token behind some of these DAOs as well some of them you know give you access to things like revenues and and that so ultimately we're talking about securities which then causes a whole bunch of legal issues and stuff anyway but that's more like owning a stock 
But some of the governance ones that don't have any of those things, I'm like, well, what's kind of what's the point? Where's where is oh, yeah, the value it, there? Well, it's if it gives you governance, it needs to you need to be able to have some kind of vote for that to have any value, right? Otherwise, it's just a it's just a, a token that's been issued by the network. I hmm. think with algorithmic stable coins that are trying to be decentralized is another kettle of fish. So the whole point, so if you can get stable coins, uh, you get CFI linked stable coins or TradFi linked stable coins at like USDC and USDT. Uh, and then you get algorithmic stable coins and then you get algorithmic stable coins that are trying to be decentralized. Mm. Uh, and in, in doing so, that creates lots of weird, and it, it's because it's uncharted territory, it's a new experiment. It creates lots of interesting uh, adventures in trying to create governance for it. So it allows everyone, if they wanted to, to take part in the network and what the network does, how it creates its revenue. Uh, if it can create revenue, you know, how much of that goes back to the older holders of the governance token. I mean, it is just a DAO when you think about it. This is just a DAO for uh, stuff yeah. on. But it leads to all these strange, um, strange examples. So I was looking at UXD recently, which is a, an algorithmic stablecoin that really wants to be uh, decentralized. And they've got a governance token called UXP. And I was looking at one of the governance proposals that comes from the team itself. And it was effectively saying, we've got a fully doxed member of the team. And we're going to, he's effectively going to be a prop trader for us in order to stem this loss of funds that we're, uh, we're receiving due to a negative funding curve. So without getting into the technicalities, the network is losing, I think, 50,000 bucks a day uh, due to negative funding. So the manner in which uh, the, the peg is kept with the dollar uh, is actually a losing strategy at the moment. So they're saying, well, the, we're, we need to stem this flow. So we've got this fully docs member of the team uh, we're going to use him in order to trade and arbitrage enough money from this negative funding phenomenon until it stops and to make us back the money, which doesn't sound decentralized whatsoever, right? It also but, doesn't really sound like anything that I would trust. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, does, it, sounds, it sounds pretty risky like that. I mean, this, is, this goes against it, but their, their thing is, don't worry, we're working on it in the background. Don't we're worry, gonna, we've got this. <laughs> yeah, we're working on the structural issue in the background, but until then, we need this, this we guy. We need money. <laughs> we need money to do it. So again, it's nobody's really tried this before, and you end up with these compromises that people have to make. So we're going yeah. to start centralized, and then we're going to decentralize over time. Uh, That's basically and, you basically just described Axie Infinity too. <laughs> we're going to uh, get, right. We're going to centralize, then decentralize, and we might just have our own fucking currency as well. Yeah, it, it's a, it's all these experiments. I mean, this uh, it hasn't been tried before, and uh, people are still working on that. That's what but I love. Wins. That's what I love about all this. Like as risky as it is, as plagued full of crap it is, there's some really like there's some quality people, fucking smart people, way smarter than than you would think, working on some crazy shit that could 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 come off, right? You know, like they could they could figure out they could figure out money, they could figure out finance and economics without, uh, it's completely, you know, not against, but a completely um, different way of thinking about all these kinds of concepts, which is great because it is, it's like the biggest um, challenge to, to the status quo, I think in history, which is what I get, which is why I just fucking love everything about what happens in the crypto space all the the booms and busts and fucking winters and summers and biddles and biddles and hodls and 
everything else in between is that it fundamentally challenges how we think about the most status quo system that has ever existed. And that has got to be a good thing, right? One aspect of this, uh, which ties into whether or not stable coins are a good thing. Uh, well, from your, from your perspective, I thought is interesting. So Circle is a perfect institutional on-ramp into crypto. Yeah. So Circle is a great conduit to allow big institutions to invest in the space. Now, if you're a speculator and you just want to see number go up, then this is a very good thing. If you have, uh, if you're, you're loyal to some of the original decentralized libertarian ideals behind Bitcoin, pandering to institutions is actually not the best idea or it, it's not, you don't think it's in your best interest. So, I mean, do you think, yeah, I mean, do you think that it's a good thing that institutions do play in this space? Um, I wouldn't. It's, I, I don't think I don't think the right way to look at it is if it's a good thing or a bad thing. It's certainly inevitable, um, and I think that ultimately that <laughs> I still I ultimately I think that's a good thing really, because what it's saying is it's saying that this is a system that can have all kinds of representation in it that fundamentally doesn't like if you're going to build a system that really sort of some of those core ideals are access for anyone, anywhere, anytime, without borders or boundaries, um, then that means anyone. That means individuals. It means fucking institutions. It means the whole gamut of people, organizations, corporations, if they want to. So I think it's it's more vindication probably rather than a good thing or a bad thing. Um, they may look to try and bastardize it towards their own, I don't know, their own, uh, the, to try and change it maybe to their own outcomes and, and circles a bit of an institutional kind of representation of that. But again, it's just a stable coin. So who gives a fuck? Um, and, and look, you know, the, the circle of what they're doing and, and how they're doing it and, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world either. But I just think it's it's just a vindication that this is a system that is true to form. It's it's access for anyone, anyone, anytime. I do know that we've not noted your beers this week, Sam. So uh, mm. as I'm still sober and just chewing tobacco over here, I'll uh, I'll let you tell our listeners what it is that you're drinking down today. So I've, I I bought this one. I I um. I'm trying out. I'm trying out this whole ironic humor thing. <laughs> so I bought a with um, limited success. With, I'm not very good at it. I'm not going to lie. Um, <laughs> this one. So this one is called Toast. Is to change. It's a session IPA, citrusy, hoppy, planet saving. Yeah, that's right. Planet. I've saving. had that once upon a time. <laughs> I've never had it. It's um. You know, I mean, it goes, it's got a little spiel about food production being the biggest contributor to climate change, the wastage of food, their planet saving beer, bit of a stretch, um, with surplus fresh bread. All profits go to charities fixing the food system. I mean, I can't, you can't, um, you know, I, you can't bemoan anyone that sends 100% of their profits to charity. That's that, that's fine. Maybe some of the motivations might be a bit questionable, but it's raise a toast, save the world, cheers, brewed with surplus bread. Um, 
4.5% ABV. I don't actually brewed for toast ale. I don't know who brews, brews it. Maybe it's just toast ale is the brewer. And that brewery does lots of recycled ones. They make, the, I think some beers they've made with recycled with surplus cornflakes as well. Ah, okay. Yeah. Oh, I, rem- I remember. Was this the one where you had the cornflake beer? Was that? Yeah. Was that think, this company as well? Was it? Yes. Same one, I think. Yeah. Right. Well, to be honest, um, I mean, that's, you, they're right. You know, food does get wasted. Um, it's good to use recycled stuff. It's actually pretty good. Oh, um, good. Yeah. It's, it's actually quite enjoyable. The second one is a um, gluten free, good for the glutens. Um, it's a heart and soul session IPA from Vocation. And we've had a few vocations on before, um, but I've never had a, the heart and soul. Um, brew, heart, created from the heart. They, they talk a bit of shit on their labels, don't they? Took, created from the heart and brewed with a double dose of devotion. Oh, it's like gets all the feels, this beer. Uh, full-bodied fruit beer with all the hoppy goodness of an IPA, but seriously, sessionable strength. Um Fruity What's tropical the alliteration hobby. here. Um, sorry, what was that? A lot of alliteration. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's fucking a word vomit on the back of this sucker. Four point four percent. So it is a bit of a session uh, beer. After after these, I, I think I, I was going to start lightly to ease my way into the the golf tonight. I've got um, like a premium cider out the back. It's got a cork in it and everything, so it must be good. Um, and some red wine just to wash it all down with before I crash um, at some probably time after midnight tonight when it all wraps up. I must say I'm very jealous. Uh, less so on the cider and the, and the wine side, but uh, you know <laughs> this whole sobriety thing really is getting old at this point, and <laughs> I really don't see the benefits of it. Um, it's, well, at I'm least not... you know now that you'll never have to give it up again. Uh, I guess, yeah, I guess it's. Yes. I uh, yeah, I just don't, I just don't get it, guys. Don't get giving up booze. Uh, surely, I would feel some kind of benefit after five weeks, and just ain't happening. No. You see, I've, uh, it's it's tough. I mean, like you say, things just get a bit boring. I think if if I had not been able to drink, I'd probably go to bed at like ten o'clock tonight. <laughs> I can't sleep that early, so uh, I w- yeah, I wish I could. Maybe then I'd, I'd finally get. Maybe then I'd, I'd, I'd discover if getting eight hours of sleep every night is actually good for your health too, or if that's a scam like sobriety. <laughs> I wish I could have eight hours a night. That'd be sick. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, no. Anyway, that, yeah. I, I, the ratings for these toast um, uh, B B for toast. Uh, here's the change session IPA from toast uh, vocation wasn't quite as good um, it's nice but um, I don't know I, I, the toast one was was uh, was better but uh, an A an A for the vocation heart and soul mm. now Sam if we can I wonder depending on when we can record our, our next episode of BBB I may actually my first beer post Lent Maybe during maybe during an episode, so I may be able to tell you exactly what it feels like to to not drink booze for six weeks and then live discuss how how great I now feel or if I suddenly feel terrible. Um, but any ideas on what I should be drinking first? Well, I was gonna I was gonna say it's, it's so next Friday is Good Friday, so we might have to do next week's episode uh, a bit earlier and uh, try uh, and get that. In which in. case, I'll still be sober. We can't have that. Yeah, we we can't have that. Oh wow, we'll have to coordinate some scheduling because um, 
Yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out. But what what would you do? If I could come off of being sober for six weeks and have a beer. What would it be? Um, what would the it be? Cycle conflicts. I, don't, I was going to say, would, would it be something from the many, many beers? So if I, if I look at our list, and if it's something we've already had, I mean, so looking at the, the double B pluses, the mm-hmm. very few double B, B pluses, there's a couple from you. There's the Empire Pale Owl from Burton Bridge. Right. Um, you've given one to the Dodo. We both actually gave the Dodo a, a double B plus. Dodo was a good one, yeah. And you've also given a long forgotten journey. Yeah, that's a classic. So, I mean, if you if you're gonna do it, you would think those would probably be ones you you'd you'd go to. I wonder if it'll, if it's changed my taste. Maybe I'll maybe there'll be uh, maybe after you know after I didn't eat food for Lent last year. I t- things tasted a bit differently when I started again. Maybe my maybe my my taste in beer will have changed as well. That would be interesting to revisit some of the best that you've had, mm. and uh, and if you if you would give them the best again. Indeed, indeed. Well, not the best. We've we've yet there are zero triple Bs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The the show's namesake has yet to be has yet to be unveiled. Wonder who that who that who who would get that great honor. Um, I think that the day we actually get a triple B will be the day that horse racing is cancelled because <laughs> uh, they get their way. The um the the mechanical Bitcoin bull gets its testicles back. Yep. Um, what else? <laughs> Elon Musk goes to jail for securities fraud. Elon goes to jail. Twitter. Twitter only allows the voice of the far right. <laughs> <laughs> and and Nancy Pelosi makes public all her trades before she trades. Yeah, she actually creates a SPAC and allows everyone to trade with her. Yes. Could you imagine the Pelosi SPAC? That'd go mm. nuts. What would you call it? Um... Pelosi street bets. I don't know. <laughs> I know Pelosi's mechanical bull testicles. DC bets. <laughs> just S- just bull testicles. <laughs> I, do you know what? That might have to be the name of our show today. Um, when people are going to see this. Do so you know how like sometimes when you watch a movie and it gets like to that point in the movie where the sort of the name of the movie and you go, oh, that's why they called it the name. That's what the yeah. movie name comes from. People will be like listen to this podcast and then at the very end, it's just like, oh, now I see why it's called Bull Testicles. Although oh, they no. probably, picked, probably picked it up earlier. That's true. That's true. Uh, funnily enough, I watched The Power of the Dog yesterday and uh, that, that Netflix. good? Uh, it's an interesting one, actually. Uh, I can see why some people hate it, and I can see why some people really like it. Yeah. Um, I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was good, though. The first half an hour could be cut. Uh, it only gets good. <laughs> There's a certain sort of scene where things actually get interesting. And you're like, ah, I now I understand where the story is going. Up until then, it's it's really quite boring. Uh, but the acting's very good. Uh, Cinematography is great as well. Uh, the script is like you know. There's. Uh, I mean, it's it's ultimately got a sort of repressed sexuality that's what the whole thing's about 
Um, it sounds like a mechanical Bitcoin bull. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, funnily enough, there is actually there is a scene with a with a bull getting its nuts cut off uh, done by Benedict Cumberbatch, and he, see, he appears circle. to be taking glee in doing this. And this is, of course, a big theme of the movie hidden in there. I don't think it's much of a spoiler to, to say that happens, but uh, yeah, watching that, I was like, damn, that's what that that Bitcoin bull, you know, must have felt, must have been like. The but maybe Benedict Cumberbatch was behind this. Maybe he was the one who castrated the Bitcoin bull in Miami. Is it? Is it the correct term? The correct term is knackered, isn't it? Uh, I thought that was when they exhaust. Uh, where they said, "Is that not where they exhaust uh, dying animals to the point where they just die of exhaustion?" I'm not sure. I'm gonna have to. Is it not that. like um, grolicked or something? <laughs> grolicked. I don't know. The no. these words are. We'll have to consult with a professional abattoirist. <laughs> Yeah, well, sadly, the bull is still alive when this happens. So, uh, yeah. But, um, yeah, I think we've covered a fair bit. I think the title... As we for the we title, haven't, though. We haven't even... And we probably don't have time, really. We don't, we don't have time today, but maybe in another episode. We haven't even covered the slap yet. Oh, man. I, I, do we really have anything to add? <laughs> yeah, actually, no, we just covered it. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> Check mark. We've done it. We've done it. Tick. Yeah. I think we'll uh, we'll hold off for there for this episode as we have uh, now reached the uh, near the end of our hour anyhow. But uh, we shall be back hopefully next week. Hopefully I will be drinking at this point as well. <laughs> and uh, I will be back on form as usual. I imagine the last few episodes have probably sounded pretty different from me not drinking uh, <laughs> or certainly feel differently from not drinking. So uh, maybe that's not reflected on my performance at all. But, but we'll find out in episode, I think, 79. Uh, that is coming up. That's all from us, folks. I uh, hope you enjoyed the episode as ever, and uh, we'll see you in the next one.